the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. What's stopping you? What's stopping you is a FAS project. Visit our website to find more resources and materials. Hello, my name is Jeanette Sutherland and I'm delighted to be joined today on this podcast with Jen Craig, farmer, NSA Scotland chairwoman and NFUS Clydesdale branch chairwoman. Hi Jen. Hiya. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got started in farming? Yeah, I can do that. We have a family farm here in Crawford in South Lanarkshire. So I've been involved in the farm basically since I could walk and follow dad around and annoy him. So I was desperate to leave school, left school quite early and went to Auchincrove for three years, got my HND um, in agriculture, wanted to come straight back to the farm, but dad wasn't um, that keen about that at that point. He wanted me to go and do something else, try other jobs. So I spent a couple of years taking part-time jobs off the farm and still being able to work at home at the same time. And then one of those contracts came to an end and dad said, you know, you can come back full time now. And that was quite a few years ago now. So, yeah, that's that was all it was really was it's always what I wanted to do. I had my heart set on it, although lots of people tried to change my mind at the time. But I just stuck with it and got to come home eventually. And I wouldn't change it for the world now. Oh, fantastic. And so when you were younger and you were telling people this is what you wanted to do, there was a bit of resistance, do you think? Yeah, there was, mainly from outside the family. I think, you know, dad and mum have always been supportive that I wanted to farm. Um, I do remember my guidance counsellor at school actually laughing at me when I said I would go home on the farm. So that that sort of drove you on a wee bit, though, to kind of prove him wrong. So I don't don't hold that against him. It probably did sound a bit (laughs) daft at that age. So that was a a surprising motivator. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking about, you know, your farming career, do you have any role models? Well, I suppose the the biggest one for me, in a sense, was actually my nana, who was my dad's mum. She lost her husband with three kids under eight. Um, Obviously, they had the farm at that point. And her dad said to her at that time that if she wanted to keep on the farm, then she would have to learn how to do things because she couldn't employ shepherds to do it for her if she couldn't do it for herself. So she learned how to clip. Um, She did hill lamins, which at that time things were on foot, raising the three kids at the same time. You know, she very much was at that time a a rare breed. You know, she was about one of the only women in the market at the time when she was going and selling stock. So, yeah, she was my biggest role model in a sense because she, you know, she just got on and did it. She had a, you know, a horrible turn of circumstances, but she got on and she did it and she secured the farm and it allowed dad to be able to buy it. And that's given me the opportunity to be where I am now as well. So that's, you know, we owe it all to her, really. Yeah. So she's a really pivotal figure. But it's interesting, actually, in some ways, it gained the, the family support because harsh, <laughs> harsh support. But, you know, you'll, you'll have to do this yourself. Advice from her own father allowed her to go on her journey as well. Yeah, it really did. You know, she she had to effectively, you know, just learn how to do everything so that she could then make sure that her employees were doing it properly as well. And that's something that I've always been, you know, has carried on through down dad and I as well, I suppose, is that you can't have somebody in to do a job for you if you can't do it yourself. 
so yeah she just and she was you know she did the same thing with dad as what he did with me and that he had to go off farm and work for a wee while to make sure that it was what he wanted to do she was always very keen and encouraging him to get involved early and dad's been the same with me you know I've had nothing but support from either of them um and my mum as well so I can't can't complain that it's been a, a rocky road anyway as your your many roles suggest that when I did the introduction, you're very involved in agri-politics. How did you get started in this? I don't really know how it happened. It just did. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody um, sent me an email when NSA were advertising for Next Generation Ambassadors and said, you know, I think you should do this, Jen. And I wasn't really that keen at that point. Um, but anyway, I filled in the form. I thought, you know, we'll just give it a go and see what happens. Um, and then I was selected for that programme. And that was it. As they say, it all just snowballed from there. And it, it, yeah, I don't sometimes wonder how I did get to where I am now, because it, it just has happened all very quickly. And so do you want to explain a wee bit more about what that programme was, the Young Ambassadors? The NSA is made up of nine regions. So they picked you know, one or two from each of those regions across the UK. Uh, it was made up of five delivery sessions over the course of the year. So we were all basically thrown together as 12 individuals who didn't know each other beforehand. The first session was pretty intense. We had three days um, down in England of talks, webinars, things like that, personal experience building, getting to know yourself. You know, it was all a, a sort of team bonding exercise. So they, they all focused on different things. So we did, for instance, we did a live today day at Dumbia in Preston, which was really interesting. We did things that were for personal development as well. So time management, media training, being able to speak in public and things like that. So it really was, it was to make us all more use for the sheep sector going forward, really, but also to benefit ourselves and also our businesses as well. Well, that sounds really interesting. So you mentioned somebody first suggested that you went for it, that you had a bit of almost internal resistance. Can you think where that came from? Or Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's quite um, easy to answer because I, I used to be, although people really, really don't believe me when I tell them that, but I used to be horrendously shy. I never would have stood up in front of a room of people and spoke. I never would have sat in a room full of people and spoke at a meeting the way I would have to do now. So it was it really was pushing myself completely out with my comfort zone to do it. And at that point, for whatever reason, I just thought, yeah, I'm going to give this a go and see what happens. And, you know, it was probably the best thing I've ever decided to do. Oh, that's wonderful. It wouldn't be um, an exaggeration to say that's been life changing. Well, it has. Yeah, because I don't I don't think without it, I, you know, I probably would still just be at the kitchen table complaining to dad over coffee about what was wrong and not actually doing anything to try and change it whereas now you know it gave me the catalyst to come on and be NSA chair which has given me a fantastic opportunity to help shape the future of farming in Scotland so you you just yeah it it can't be underestimated the impact that that program had. Oh that's wonderful so after that program and the way that things have turned out you're now on involved in a lot of uh, committees and agri-politics and I was just wondering like committees are something that sometimes people are nervous about or they're they sort of dread and uh, I was just wondering what advice would you give people about working with committees? Well I think for me I've, I've had a very positive experience in that most committees that I've gone on to have been a great bunch of people they're all very friendly um 
you know, it, it's having that confidence initially, I think, to believe in what you feel and what you think and what your opinions are and being able to go into that room and have the confidence just to say it. Because, you know, committees are one of those things where you put a load of people in a room, not everybody's going to agree, not everybody's going to get on and not everybody's necessarily going to like what you have to say. But one of the biggest things I've found is, is that if someone can justify their opinion, then it's a worthwhile opinion and you have every right to say it. So if you know what you're talking about, you shouldn't be afraid of going into a room and just saying it. Because most people are grown-ups and can take that kind of attitude and you know understand that other people have different opinions. Because at the end of the day, anybody that's involved in these committees within agri-politics, we all want the same thing. You know, we want a, yeah. a secure future for farming. We all just have slightly different ways in which we would like to see that happen, I suppose. And has there been strategies or tools that from your the Young Ambassadors programmes that specifically helped you to have this mindset of starting to take part in committees and also dealing with the, the highs and the lows of being on a committee? Yeah, I suppose the biggest thing, again, it, it was the confidence and the, the how to speak to people and put your point across, but also the people that were involved with NSA Scotland at that time who encouraged me onto the committee, who had selected me as an ambassador anyway, you know, they really wanted me to get involved and my fellow ambassador from Scotland that year as well. Mm-hmm. So without them, you know, it probably would have been slightly more harder to go into that room. But I think you have to, farming's a way of life. We, we basically choose to do this and it almost consumes everything that we do, any decisions that we make. So you have to be passionate about it. You know, anybody that is working in farming, they do have that passion and they do have that desire for the industry to succeed. So you really just have to find find it within you to be able to use that to, to the advantage of everybody and especially for the future generations, because that's why we're all doing it, really. And do you think there's lessons that other organisations, you know, whether it's very local show committees or much bigger national organisations, can learn from how people sort of supported and mentored you in your early days? Yeah, I, def- I definitely think there is because that that programme, you know, without that, as I've said, I just wouldn't have been doing anything that I have done. And that there will be lots of other people out there within our industry and in the wider economy as well who will be very, very good at what they want to do, who have opinions, who have the desire to be involved and make changes. And because they don't have access to something like that, then we're missing them and they're not contributing, whether it's to agriculture or to any other industry. And that, that to me, is a shame if there's people like that out there who just need a little bit of time um, and investment, in a sense, to come out of their shell and be able to make the difference that they really want to, but they just don't feel confident enough to. Fantastic. So hopefully the web resources on the FAS website, the What's Stopping You, will help link people up with organisations that they can take. So so your advice would be that if you have a sort of desire to be involved in sort of agri-politics or that kind of part of it, not to count yourself out if you're maybe shy or not being involved at all because there's a great need for more younger people in this space? Yeah, definitely. Because it, you know, no that there's absolutely no. I'm not ageist at all, and it's no disrespect to the the older generation at all. Because they've given us what we all have now. They've secured our future for us, and you know we still have things to learn from them, and their experience certainly can't be discounted. But 
I must admit that it would be really, really nice um, at these meetings and on these committees and things that I go to, to be able to see more younger people involved because at the end of the day, it's our future and it's the future generations as well. And we, we should have an input in that as well. We, we have every right to ask the industry for what we want from it or for what we want to see come for the industry. You know, we, we have that right just as much as the older generations. And it it would make me feel so much better to see other younger people getting involved. And I mean, there are now compared to when I started all this about six years ago. But I still I don't feel on committees and things that the age balance really is right just yet, because I, th- I think we need more young people. And so there's all different types of diversity that you can have on a committee. And there's obviously like the age, the good age spread on a committee. And there's also gender. And how have you found, because there's been a lot of research recently that women are maybe not putting themselves forward for leadership roles or committee positions. What are your experiences of this? Well, personally speaking, I, you know, at NSA Scotland, we have quite a considerable number of female committee members. Our three main office bearers are all female at the moment. So there's me, myself, um, there's Mamie Patterson, who's our vice chair, and our treasurer is Mary Dunlop. So I think NSA Scotland's doing pretty well. You know, when I joined the committee originally, just after my ambassador year in 2014, you know, there was a lot of women involved then as well. So I suppose I've been lucky in a sense that I've come into an organisation where there are plenty of women already there. The gender balance is pretty good. You know, I, I'm involved with NFUS as well, as you pointed out. And, you know, there are, there are certainly in our region, in the Forth and Clyde region, there is quite a number of women who are involved there as well. The, the leadership role thing, I think, I don't think that's really necessarily anything to do with being male or female. I think it's, it's a big commitment. You know, you're giving up your time in most circumstances voluntarily, which if you have, you know, other commitments in your life, if you're married or you have kids or you have a business at home and you're maybe just there by yourself, it is very difficult to juggle these things. You know, I'm I'm really lucky that I don't have any dependents, but I do have dad who's at home with the business and he's always been supportive of me doing these roles. So therefore, he's quite happy to sort of have taken up the slack, in a sense, for the last two years. So I'm lucky that I've had that opportunity. Not everybody has somebody at home. So you think there's a strong aspect of it is the time commitment and uh, having to find almost like a a replacement for yourself in other roles if you do take one of the bigger sort of leadership roles on. Yeah, I I think that's an issue, whether you're you're male or female, you know, because it it is a huge commitment and you're basically saying yeah I'm going to take time away from my own business to do this and it sometimes it can be quite difficult to juggle everything all at once. That's really interesting insight to the whole sort of uh, aspect of agri-politics and before because we're going to move on to sort of wider hill farming issues in a wee minute but before we do that imagine there's a, a listener who's just like yourself before the Young Ambassadors program started what advice would you like to give them today? I would like to say to them to be brave. It is difficult. I know that, but you can do it. You know, there's plenty of us involved with these organisations, especially NSA Scotland. You know, we're there. We've done, you know, I've been there in that position before. There's other, there'll be other people in your area who are involved with organisations. And if that's what you want to do and you feel you need somebody to kind of give you a nudge then get in touch with somebody that's involved you know even if it's me or 
anybody else you know that's involved in an organization drop us a message give us a call because we're, we all are there to support each other and it's to my benefit too if I can find other people to come on to these committees and take on leadership roles as well it means that you know if you have encouraged the future generation then you've succeeded in part of what your job is to do you know, don't be scared of people. Most people I've come across are lovely. And, you know, I wouldn't be where I am without the support of a lot of those characters within the industry. And generally speaking, they want everybody to succeed and they want the future generation to be involved. So just seek us out, go for it, be brave. And, you know, we would all be there to help you on your way. That's wonderful. Thank you very much. Probably quite a few years ago, I remember you presenting a report about the environmental and social benefits of hill farming systems. Do you think that this is a, an under-recognised aspect of these systems? Yeah, definitely. I think I think maybe less so now, although because you know the profile of what um, hill farming brings to Scotland has increased quite a bit in the last couple of years with the discussions around the, the changes to the LFAS payments and the convergence money, etc. But I think that's always been the biggest thing for me is that the hill farming sector is just it's so much more than just the farm, the farms, the land and the farmers. It's the the communities that they underpin in remote areas that, you know, without these farms still being there, these communities would struggle quite dramatically. You know, the generally speaking, shepherds tend to be fairly prolific. So there tends to be quite a number of kids for the local school. <laughs> <laughs> you know but generally you know they, they 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 support the local schools there's the local businesses that the farms use whether it's garages post offices you know well banks is a really rare thing to find these days in rural communities but mm-hmm. we tend to use people who are local to us because one it's easier and two we know what kind of service we're getting so we're we are feeding into the local economy as well we're a massive contributor to that and it's Yeah. And the environmental side of it, the access that people have in Scotland, you know, with the right to roam, they, you know, they have Scotland on their doorstep. They can go and walk basically wherever they they choose. And it's the most gorgeous country in the world, as far as I'm concerned. But then I am slightly biased. But, (laughs) you know, it's we we, we are sort of the the guardians of that. We're allowed that access is being maintained by us purely by being in these areas and farming. The generations who have farmed before us have shaped the countryside into what it looks like today. So without us, they wouldn't be having the same views and the same access to the countryside that they're getting. And it's, you know, we're preserving some of the best ground in terms of biodiversity for some of the rare plants that you get. And there's the the peat bogs, you know, for the sake of carbon sequestration and stuff. So we're, you know, we're massive custodians in the in the uplands and the mountains of Scotland. And I think. It's something that at times we are undervalued for, not just in a, a financial sense, but just in general in the, the minds of the the people who use the countryside for activities other than farming is that, you know, the reason that they're in that area and seeing what they're seeing is generally because of the farms and the the sheep that are in that area or the cattle equally as well. You know, we, they've shaped that over the last numerous th- hundreds, thousands of years. And it's, yeah, it's something that we should be really, really proud of and probably screaming a little bit more about too. There's a talk and it's all very uh, quite an embryo stage in some cases, but there's a move to sort of consider 
recognizing and rewarding for public goods and I, I myself am involved in some trials in Sky to look at uh, results-based systems written by grasslands and a crofting system. Do you consider that that's something the upland sector should look at positively or are you concerned that there's threats from that approach rather than maybe moving away more from sort of production support to supporting the public goods that the, the systems are providing? I think it's something I kind of have mixed feelings about it. Um, I would what I would say is though it's it's always an opportunity, and the current the way things are going currently, you know, there is a focus on the public good, there is a focus on the environmental benefits of what farmers are doing now, and any avenue that would encourage us to continue those environmental schemes or impacts that we're making on our farms or in some cases to make them even better, can't be a bad thing given the way the world is going. You know, climate change is a very real thing. I would say that sometimes I feel that our industry is unfairly tackled and that we're unfairly blamed quite a lot of the time. Um, It gets thrown at us quite easily, I feel. So some of it I feel is very unjust, specifically in Scotland, because we're, we're doing great things here. You know, in the uplands of Scotland, this, the the huge LFA area that we have, you know, it's it's farmed almost as environmentally friendly as you can manage, really. Although I don't dispute that most of us will have improvements that we can make. So I think to discount a scheme because it maybe doesn't focus on productivity or the way that they support hill farming doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing. Because some areas, it's not necessarily about being productive where the stock are, they maybe are actually more of benefit to the environmental area around them, to whether it's to the, the grazing or to the, the maintenance of hillsides and things like that. You know, So they maybe don't need to be as productive in those areas, but their environmental contribution is huge and that, that should be recognised as well. Yeah, no, and, it's, and I think there's an aspect that I always feel that often sometimes it can be put too black and white. It can be like, farmers or crofters and their sheep and cattle and the environment but I think that there's actually um, you know maybe with people just using different language to describe often the same thing because I often think that like um, you know when we have discussions in Sky often like although maybe from the the media and stuff and people's impressions they kind of feel that the you know like uh, RSPB and the environmentalists are maybe against them actually the you know you know how you're talking about at the start like on a committee often there's a lot more shared goals than people maybe realize I think often even when you're talking about the sort of different stakeholders often there's a lot more common ground than sometimes people realize and I think that that's something that it's something that maybe is an an untapped strength of hill farming that there's more support out there for the extensive systems than maybe people feel at times. Yeah, no, I, I would completely agree with that because it's you can't really class farming and the environment as two different things because we can't do one without the other. Um, you know, farming is very much dependent on the environment. And yeah, as you say, even the divisions with stakeholders and things, although, you know, most people would say, oh, agriculture is against, you know, the environmental organisations. The, the truth is, as you say, like I said earlier, we all want the same thing. We all want a sustainable countryside in Scotland. And yes, OK, we all have different ideas about how we go about that. But surely there has to be a way that we can all come together for the better of the countryside and for those future generations to come along and be able to have the opportunities that we've had in the rural areas of Scotland but also 
you know, to be able to still enjoy it as it is and how it has been, you know, and in areas where it could be improved, then we have the, the need to improve it for the next generation as well. Because if we can't leave it in a better state, then we've not done a very good job. No, that's wonderful. So I'm not going to mention the B word Brexit too much, but I was just thinking that obviously, because uh, we're, we're recording this in November and uh, it's a very uncertain time at the moment. Obviously, uncertainty can be difficult for people to live with. What are the sort of the positives about hill farming for you that help you uh, navigate these uncertain times? Yeah, un- uncertainty is a, a horrible thing, but it's something that, yeah, in the last two years, I've got pretty good um, at dealing with, I think. But, you know, this this year, in a sense, for the sheep sector has been an absolute flyer. I don't think any of us can complain about what the, the prices and things we've had, which if you had asked me in February, March time, I wouldn't have been anywhere near as positive as what it has turned out to be. So that's that to me has been a massive boost for us this year going into the winter, given the kind of strange circumstance and the, the year that we've all had. It has been nice to have that sort of just reward. Mm-hmm. You know, OK, the prices are higher this year, but arguably they're probably where they should always be. Yeah, I would just say the biggest thing we can do is is try to certainly for us in the organizations is we are we're all trying our best everybody's working really really hard behind the scenes you know some people have said to me recently oh it worries me that the government because of covid you know they're maybe working too much on that but the government the civil servants behind the scene they're all still working on brexit uh, post brexit where we're going to go next year getting things in place for new payments etc scott gov have just been doing that this week so I would say to people that although the news is dominated by other things, this this work is still happening and we're still progressing towards it. And yeah, at the moment, we don't have a big indication of what's going to happen, whether you want a deal or you don't want a deal. We don't know what the implications of either of those things are going to be. Obviously, for the sheep sector, the concern over a no deal is quite huge. It's quite substantial. But I do believe that even in that scenario, we do still have something to offer and things will hopefully sort themselves out. It may be rough for a little while, but, you know, farmers are nothing if not stubborn and we do persevering very, very, very well. You know, we deal with, okay, maybe nothing quite as big as a no deal Brexit might entail, but, you know, we deal with uncertainty every year. We never know what the prices are going to be like when we're lambing in March and April. So, you know, we're good at this. We persevere all the time. We've had big crises before when we've had foot and mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, we we can we will get through it. I have no doubt about that because people still need to eat and we still need to produce food. So I, yeah, I am still positive, although we have no real evidence of where we're going at the moment as to whether we'll have a deal or not. We, I am still positive that whatever happens, that agriculture will come out the other side of it. And we're coming to the end of our time, but is there anything that we haven't really touched on that you think is a a hot topic at the moment or just anything that you'd like to reiterate? I think I think the biggest thing that I would add maybe at the moment is given that we're, you know, still under all the restrictions with COVID and things like that and we're not meeting face to face, is that I would encourage people to get involved with any organization out there, whether it's NSA or NFUS or the Crofters. You know, we're all there at the moment. We're still working away virtually. Um, Don't feel like these organisations aren't there for you because of that. You know, it it could potentially be a very long, dull winter for us all. It's certainly looking that way at the moment. Um, 
So I would just say anybody that's out there, virtually virtual meetings make it so much easier to get involved. You'd be more than welcome to join us. You know, if you're interested in coming on NSA Scotland's committee, for instance, then we'd love to have you. Just, yeah, look out for each other over the next wee while. You know, remember that while we're all still trudging away, working at home and things like that, that, you know, the darker nights and things are coming in and just check up on people and just take advantage of having a a video chat with somebody on a Friday night over a wee gin or a whiskey or something. And, you know, remember that, yeah, everybody's still here for each other. That's excellent. Oh, well, that's very inspiring and excellent advice to end on. So I'd just like to thank you so much for joining with me today and discussing your experiences. Thanks so much, Jen. Thank you.